Japan by River Cruise. It's made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This week, we have a message from Spotify. Spotify, enjoy access to a music library of over 70 million songs while you listen to the same three albums you already own anyway. And if you're already a member, consider joining Spotify Premium for 980 yen a month so you don't hear adverts in between those same three albums that you already own anyway. Spotify. Your favorite musicians would only spend the money on drugs anyway. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. Hello, I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week from Seattle is Mary Kobayashi, who you may know from Adult Swim's The Perfect Women, from fronting the band Bad in Bed, playing violin for everyone from Amy Mann to Tim Heidecker, or from being hilarious on Twitter. And technically speaking, she is a comedian with roots in Osaka, so don't be surprised if she responds to all our questions with Nande ane! Mary, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, and I do plan to do that. Just don't call Ali fat. That's my thing. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> On this week's show, Japan wins the Nobel Prize for identity politics. Who gets to be Japanese and when? And how do these questions get answered by the media, domestic and foreign, when they totally mangle Asian representation? We'll talk to Mary about all of this and maybe pretend to care about Cowboy Bebop along the way. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby, this week's recommendation is a quaint little river cruise in rural Kansai, which reportedly runs just once a day in the morning and once a day in the afternoon to take a single child to school and back since the local train branch line got discontinued in the late 90s. It's a beautiful journey, but you're not able to ride the boat unless you're enrolled at the local school or, exceptionally, friends with the child in question. So later in the show, I'll be giving you my top five tips for befriending a 12-year-old. Plus, five easy ways to spot a river cruise scam, and three easier ways to run one. Coming up after Soap Talk. Uh, Brian, I hope you're not still upset about the fact that we didn't play your message last week. Yeah, of course. That's fine. Thanks, ma'am. Mary, you and I share something in common, which is... For both of us, it's been ages since we were last in Japan. Yeah. How uh, how has the border closure affected you? It hasn't, but I miss Japan a lot. Um, the border closure, you know, leaving the country isn't something I do uh, regularly. I don't have enough money, so it's it's been pretty pretty normal. Just regular pandemic depression stuff. <laughs> Just standard. How about you? Yeah, well, I, I kind of not only formed my career, but also my sense of self uh, mm. but, but by the idea of living out of a suitcase and traveling everywhere with no fixed abode. And now I don't only live in my childhood bedroom, uh, <laughs> but I live in my younger brother's childhood oh. bedroom. So not an ideal set of circumstances. No, that's pretty, yeah, it's pretty dark. Bobby, you're about to buy a house, right? <laughs> oh, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Wow. Fingers crossed. What a jerk. Uh, <laughs> Mary gets us. <laughs> Mary, when's the when's the last time that you were actually over in Japan? I think it was five years ago or so. Uh, my mom and I went together and we did like the hot springs thing. And she was like, I hope you're not lying to me about not having any tattoos. And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, because, oh, what is it, Yakuza? She was like, um, you're not allowed to have yeah, yeah. tattoos in this hot springs. 
I was like, you're not serious. And she was totally serious. But presumably the pandemic has, and do you know what? This question, we ask so many guests and each time I'm interested, but also depressed to ask, but presumably the pandemic has affected your live music touring schedule. Please, please, in 60 seconds or less, explain <laughs> why things are bad. Oh, <laughs> I don't need 60 seconds. Uh, yeah, it's been a huge drag. I mean, you know, you guys know live performing is so fun and terrifying and there's nothing quite like that experience. And, um, you kind of don't notice that when you start to not live do live performances that you kind of start to wither away like a like a plant just you know mummified husk of a person you used to be so um that's that's been rough but i was uh performing right before the pandemic quite a lot when i was around quite a lot of people um i don't think i'm supposed to mention it but it was on a cruise ship um maybe you'll have to bleep that part out never heard of them it's weird that paradox of being a performer of of kind of enjoying being on stage and interacting with an audience but also kind of wanting to have your alone time and and get away from that when you can and oh yeah i'm curious about this idea of like when you don't get to perform you feel like a shriveled up husk you said <laughs> do you think that speaks to something about the ways performers kind of seek validation from their audiences in maybe less than healthy oh, ways totally and also the fact that like most performers don't really like hanging out with people all the time like they want the validation they want to be performing mm. but when people ask me like when's the last time you've been to like a show um even before the pandemic it was like i don't i don't really go to shows i'm short you know it i'm nervous i'm like not the most social person so i don't know maybe if if performers were more balanced, then it wouldn't be yeah. like that. I don't know. Yeah, I know loads of comics that say that their favorite place to watch a show is not in the audience, but like in yeah, the sound right. booth or in the wings. There's, there's something comforting about like kind of being engaged with what's going on, but not actually being fully present, right? Not having to completely surrender to the Oh, night. totally. It's like weird Phantom of the Opera thing. Yeah, I've, I've also noticed this phenomenon of uh, comics, especially people who aren't, necessarily like what, what you'd call a job in comic somebody who who isn't really super famous but performs every once in a while when you take away their ability to perform i can't i can't count the number of friends who in the beginning of the pandemic kind of were like well maybe i'm just done with comedy wow. maybe i just won't do it anymore like you stay away mm -hmm. from the stage for a little while and you go eh, maybe it's not for me anymore because you've forgotten that feeling of being sure. on stage and getting that validation and how addicting it is yeah, but on the other hand, there definitely are people that stepped off the flywheel and actually, you know, got a day job and realized, holy shit, I can work till five o'clock. And then at the end of the month, there's money in my account. And I'm not rang with all my friends. And I'm not jealous right. of all my friends' success. And like, that's, I, I can count at least a dozen comics who kind of gracefully bowed out. And there's a nice way that um, my friend Stuart Goldsmith described this, which is you say you graduated from comedy or you graduated from uh you know music or whatever you say do you know what it's not that i've quit it's not that i failed it's that i've got what i wanted out of it at the time and now you know i'm graduating and moving on to the next step in my life so next week when i'm not here i'll, I'll have graduated from the podcast <laughs> well, isn't, it, well, isn't that what they say in japanese right like when a, a member from a band leaves they say shimashita. yeah yeah I, I hate that both yeah. of you speak better japanese than i do and i'm half japanese my mom is also japanese Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, well, brilliant. And we love that you hate it because that's why we learned it. This is exactly what we want to talk about in the news section. What is it? What is it to be Japanese and uh, and how are Japanese people represented or misrepresented in the media? So without any further ado, let's jump into the news. 
All right, Bobby. What's in the news this week? Scientist Shukuro Manabe, who has lived in America since 1958, won the Nobel Prize in Physics for his work on climate change modeling. And scientists in Japan are now doing their own modeling to explain how it was actually his birth in Japan that was entirely responsible for his success. So we'll get into this in a bunch of different ways in the news section today. But just to start, Mary, how have you experienced questions about what makes someone Japanese? My experience with this is kind of limited,、uh, but also strange because people in America think I look very Asian. And like shockingly, when I'm in Japan, sometimes they don't know that I'm Asian at all, which I'm like, are you serious? Really?、Um, so.、Mm. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit strange. And I don't want to use the word challenged, but have you found that you've been, well, just use the word challenged about your identity and background more in one country than the other?、Um, not at all. In fact, I've been pretty lucky to not be challenged. I'm not sure why. But I, I have been warned by my mother that, you know, I, I've wanted to move to Japan as an adult. It's been kind of like a faraway fantasy of mine. And she'll say things like, you know, It's kind of hard to not feel like an outsider, but I'm, I'm half Japanese, you know? But it's like a real concern、mm. that you're always going to feel like an outsider. Well, let's just dive right in and pick up on this word Japanese. What does it actually mean to be Japanese? What is that standard in, in your opinion? Oh, in my opinion, I mean, you guys shared a horrifying thread with me where someone was being、uh, oh, super. I mean, I don't know where that comes from. Oh, yeah, he got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said, you know, you have to never leave Japan or never learn any other languages to be Japanese, but the tweet was written in English, which was weird.、Um, but I don't know if that's like <laughs> some kind of insecurity, just like white supremacists here are like very troubled people. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it means to be Japanese, frankly. Well, that particular Twitter thread,、um, th there is a, all sorts of debate that we see about this on Twitter all the time,、um, especially because we're, we're very active in the、uh, immigrant in Japan Twitter community and the Japanese Twitter community.、Sure. But that particular thread,、um, I think, is just bad faith trolling. I think it's another example of just extremely bad faith trolling of probably some white person who is just being abusive. And it reminded me of.、Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't like the idea of like signal boosting threads or tweets that are just obvious bad faith trolling.、Mm -hmm. And it, the way that some of the people in the community were responding to it reminded me of、um, I think it was there's a poker quote that's attributed to a guy named Canada Bill, where he was gambling at a game and somebody told him that、uh, the game was fixed. And he said, Yeah, I know it's crooked, but it's the only game in town. And I think a lot of people use Twitter where they're like, yeah, I know it's trolling, but it's also the only engagement、oh, totally. that I got. Yeah. So that's someone who's clearly got it wrong, right? Just created an absolutely absurd argument. But there's no doubt that, particularly to Japanese people, as well as white right wing、uh, trolls, there is something about Japaneseness. And I, I, I remember the first time someone said, ah, Nihonjin rashi desu ne, to me, meaning, oh, like, oh、yeah. you, you're, you're, like, you're like a Japanese person. And it was when I was、um, helping to tidy up、mm. after some uni event. And I was like folding pizza boxes. And, and they were like, oh, you know, it's, it's really good that you're, you're cleaning. And obviously, <laughs> they meant that as a praise. But what it meant is, we expect you to not clean up after yourself, which is absolutely a fair thing. Oh, exactly. But、yeah. you're not doing that. And, you know, the, stand, the standard is Japanese people clean, and you've met that standard. 
not forgetting that like Japan, Japan's view of the world must just be like the whole of the rest of the world is just covered in trash unless a Japanese person happens to be on vacation <laughs> and then brings one of those sticks and a bin bag with them. Uh, but, but, but I think everyone who spent any amount of time in Japan has, has had someone, has had a Japanese person say as a compliment, as a positive thing, hey, you're acting like a Japanese person. No, totally. I mean, the expectations of foreigners are pleasantly low. They're like, wow, like you can play the piano. That's amazing, you know. Um, but it is meant as a compliment, so it's kind of weird. I don't know. I, I think it's from a good place, actually. Um, Japanese people are so incredibly hard on themselves and they are so self-scrutinizing. But mm -hmm. when anyone can do anything, they're like, that's great. And they are genuine about it. It's it's very strange. Um, Bobby, you live there now. I mean, I don't know if that's still how it is. The last time I've I've spent any real time there was like a decade ago, but that's how it seems to me. Yeah, very much so. And and with this Nobel Prize story in particular, um, there's been a lot of attention to the fact that the way it's been reported in Japan is that it's a Japanese person who's won it, whereas anywhere else you look, it's like there's a team of three scientists <laughs> and he's one of them, and they didn't even really get into nationalities. That's hilarious, yeah. But in Japan, it's all it's all about the Japanese guy winning. And I even saw a clip with, with the scientist himself talking about how he doesn't, he doesn't want to live in Japan because in Japan the focus is on community harmony and things like that. And everybody, you know, it doesn't matter what you think, you kind of go along to get along in Japan. Yeah. Whereas in the West, you can pursue your own ideas and your own dreams. And there were people in the comments directly under, underneath that responding, well, he's no longer Japanese. Wow. He's American. He's, he's already become too Americanized. We shouldn't be celebrating him as Japanese. So, yeah, Ali, it really is that idea of, you know, you, you identify the harmonious, positive qualities as Japanese and you identify the selfish qualities as non-Japanese. <laughs> and instead of going, this is a person who has qualities, you go, well, they're one or the other. Are you responsible for curating any of this mindset in your own children, do you think? Have you ever said, you know, like, Nihonjin Rashika or, you know, praise someone by, praise one of your children by saying, oh, that's, you know, Nihonjin Poi or something? No. <laughs> Why would I do that? Why would well, I, I don't know. Do I don't Admit know. it, Bobby. <laughs> occasionally occasionally we'll joke about it in terms of food that's the only time it'll ever come up like like uh i think we went to we went to a buffet forever ago um that'll date the story uh yeah. when there were still buffets um but but my wife and ami kept getting all the crab and fish and louie and i kept getting all the meat and potatoes and it was just a joke about about like oh look how american one half of the family is and how japanese the other half but in terms of like personality traits very i, I think i i would say i purposely avoid that but i don't even have to purposely avoid it it just doesn't happen <laughs> he's not gonna drop it drop it until uh get canceled <laughs> No, but I, I, I'm really fascinated by it because I, I know that you and I have had this kind of chat before and you've talked to me about, you know, the fact that you want them to grow up watching some American cartoons as well and be comfortable in English. You know, I know that your expectation is not that your two girls are American, but you must you must kind of be aware in your head of like some ratio of, of time that they spend identifying and engaging with one language and one culture over the other. I definitely do it linguistically, but that's just because I want to make sure that they grow up native speakers in both languages. What would you say is the worst thing you've ever done relating to what Ollie's asking? Well, 
<laughs> yes, Mary. <laughs> Let's bring her back more often. This is great. What, yeah. How have I potentially traumatized my children? Um, I think I can be a little too critical mm. of Japanese people who, who sure, sure. give me the foreigner treatment. So like when I'm out somewhere with my kids and we run into somebody who starts asking me all these questions about like where I'm from or how long I've been in Japan or things like that or, or <laughs> you know, gives you the English menu, th yeah. those kinds of situations. And, and for context, <laughs> these are not people that have come up to Bobby because they recognize him. This is just standard guy yeah. treatment. Yeah. If it's because they recognize him, entirely different people. I have to pretend to be nice in that situation. <laughs> That's really yeah. funny. But so there have been times where some where the girls will ask like, why why did they treat you like that and i go because they think i'm not from here and they go well oh. why and i go because they're idiots right, right, <laughs> instead right. of just kind of like you're like because my hair isn't jet black <laughs> yeah I, I feel a little a little bit of guilt about that yeah yeah occasionally when we're out just the three of us um some other children will come up like not sure how to approach us wondering whether or not we speak japanese whether or not they speak japanese and for them speaking japanese is completely right, right. normal it's completely natural and so when they are confused about why somebody looked at them that way i could probably do a better job of of explaining in a way that's not as critical of of the japanese half of the equation you know it's it's not like from a bad place though japanese people seem to have they have like this who me thing where they don't they don't really like fight back too much because i don't know they don't make a big deal out of being misrepresented or like cultural appropriation it's not very japanese to make a big deal out of anything really yeah and that's one of the things that i really wanted to talk about today in terms of this question of of uh what is japanese and the way the media represents it because you see a lot of representation of Japanese things in the West. I'm thinking like Katy Perry. I'm thinking uh, Avril Lavigne's Hello Kitty video. Thinking about all of these things that you, you, you see a net backlash about cultural appropriation or misrepresentation. And one of the arguments that get used to diffuse that is that people who defend that kind of stuff say, well, Japanese people love it. Japanese people love when Westerners wear kimonos. Japanese people love yeah. when Westerners get into kawaii culture. Mm -hmm. So if they, if the real Japanese people love it, then it's not harmful. Right, right. They kind of do love it. I mean, I, and I don't know what's more harmful is uh, like maybe having that conversation or them not being represented at all because i i was like racking my brain i was like what japanese characters have i ever seen who are specifically japanese in tv in recent memory and i googled like top 10 japanese characters in tv and they were all drawings okay none of them were real people people so, um don't quite know what to do with that but yeah i mean when japanese people get represented it's like really ancient stuff uh samurai martial arts go-go mm. from kill bill like whatever you know yeah. um my friend phil in his first ever special which is available to watch on youtube has a cracking joke about chinese rep representation in western media which is like chinese people are either impossibly <laughs> wise or shouting in a racist <laughs> accent hey give me back my watermelon it's like for, for, so there's, no, there's no in between there's only two and and you know japanese too there's like i, I can only think of one uh British made drama that involved a big Japanese cast. It was co-written mm. by some Japanese people. 
but still all of the Japanese characters fell within a certain mold right like th there wasn't a Japanese person which is like oh that's a surprising way of someone to behave for a Japanese person right. they all kind of you know to a western audience they kind of fell within a, a, a framework of oh yeah that's what Japanese people are like uh, I'm talking about Giddy Haji by the way it's quite good I will look into it um you you did remind me though that I remember from like a college media studies class that in terms of minority representation, there's generally like four phases of representing minorities in media. The first is that they don't exist. The second is that they're there, but as stereotypes. And then the third is that they're there as the opposite of the stereotypes. So when you say kind of like mm -hmm. this idea of, well, I wouldn't expect a Japanese person in this role, or it's not the stereotype, that's actually also kind of a racist reaction to the stereotype sure. yeah like the black right. guy is the doctor and not the criminal well, it's, it's like that old-fashioned joke which is the 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 child is brought into the hospital and then the doctor says but i cannot operate on this child for they are my son and it's like you got to solve the riddle it's like, <laughs> ah God. because oh yeah the context is that the the, yeah, the yeah, dad yeah. died in the car crash too and the the got yet is ah actually his mum's the doctor haha -ha, subverted but that that does two things one that as Bobby said, perpetuates a stereotype that women are not doctors. And secondly, what an absolute dick move by the mother to go, oh my God, my son's nearly dying. As a matter of principle, for no good reason, despite the fact there's no law against operating on your own son, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to opt out of this operation. <laughs> yeah, there was a time when um, they started casting black men as the mayor or the principal, but they would still be the only black person in the cast. And it's like, Good job, I guess. I think that's the third stage yeah. you're talking about, maybe. That's the third stage, yeah. And there's there's even there's even this trope of like, um, I think in in fantasy that the in any in any medieval fantasy or any like Disney princess fantasy, there's always like a black yeah, captain right. of the guard. <laughs> but the the fourth stage is just that it doesn't matter what their character is. Like their their race is not their it's not a function of their character, and. I'm actually kind of heartened uh, in talking to Mary, especially in the extras, when, when you talked about like not having your ethnicity be an issue in a lot of the work that you've yeah, done. Yeah, but Adult Swim is maybe the most forward and not, you know, not always in a good way. They're, I think they're unusual. I, I really can't think of like any Japanese or Asian character who didn't have like a line written in like addressing their parents or the fact that they're Japanese. Um, it's, so I don't think they've yeah. reached the fourth stage yet. <laughs> um, and I, I wish it would, uh, happen. Right. How do you feel about the way in which Western media deals with not only Japanese, but kind of Asian representation in general with some of like the, the Asian character tropes or the Asian backstory? I think it's pretty bad. I mean, I, I'm not personally terribly offended by it, but it's just like, wow. I mean, there there always needs to be this like mystical thing where the Asian like parents are brought in and they have all these weird traditions that you need to know about. And that's just not how um, that's not how real life is. But it's kind of like, I don't know, very um, mm. point and look at the Asian person thing. Uh, and let's talk about how weird and Asian their family is. It's really strange. And what do you think about that difference between a Japanese person in Japan looking at Japanese representation in the U.S. and going, oh, they're enjoying Japanese culture. 
like it's it's super common for Japanese people here to go like, oh, Westerners, you love ninja, you right. love samurai, you love ninja, right, right, and mean right. it genuinely. They enjoy that foreigners like that aspect of their culture. How is and it different? This, again, might be a problematic thing to say, but it probably is true That's that right. as a proportion of Japan-made content in the states, that bulk of it is probably anime and porn. No, it's definitely <laughs> true. That fine yeah. to say if it's true. <laughs> you have to keep that in um no I, there's a ton of anime a ton of weird stuff you know i got asked um to read sometimes i get asked to read um like a script so that someone can say that like a japanese person read it if there's a japanese character in it um i rarely get paid for this sort of thing but i was reading a good friend's script one time and i was really hoping that there wouldn't be anything about a vending machine in there and there was something about a vending machine in there and I was like, buddy, can you please take that out? <laughs> I mean, like, uh -huh. why is it even in there? It's just kind of easy. And he was like, oh, you're totally yeah. right. Well, I was like, oh, my God. Th there's a good chance that you weren't paid for that work, not because you're ethnically Japanese, but because you're a woman. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Ollie. <laughs> Great point. So I saw a thread about, um, I haven't watched it yet, but I saw a thread about Squid Game, uh, the, the currently most popular yes. show on Netflix ever, this Korean show and kind of the boom in Korean media in the West. And someone was talking about how this could be good for the U.S. because uh, it'll make them less provincial. It'll expose them more to, to other cultures. Do you think there's a chance for um, exposure to more authentic, maybe Asian-produced media uh, to serve this kind yeah. of role for the West? I think Squid Game is a great thing. I'm, I'm being dead serious. Like the whole cast is Asian. I mean, there may be a few white bad guys, but they're literally wearing masks. Uh, not really a spoiler, I don't think. Um, it has nothing to do with being Asian. It's not putting itself in the context of um, being Asian in the world. It's just this really well-written uh, story or whatever um, that happens to have a fully Asian cast. I love it. I think it's great. Like there needs to be more... Uh, stuff like that because then you forget that the characters are a different race or ethnicity than you which is what i mean that's kind of what we should strive for anyway right it's it's been a while since japan has produced any sort of entertainment media that's gotten that much attention on the world stage that isn't like kimetsu no yaiba you know a lot of my friends watched terrace house oh yeah oh yeah which I thought was incredibly boring. And they're and, just regular people. Um, yeah, they're not only regular people, they're like talking about their day and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like American reality television is like a total nightmare, so it's so entertaining. But Terrace House was very, uh, very clean, um, not too dramatic, but a lot of my American friends seem to get into it. Not sure why. I saw a couple of think pieces about how it was exactly because of the reason that that you mentioned that it wasn't crazy drama. It uh. was just enjoying, enjoying kind of an antidote to reality TV where you can tell everything is over the top, and it was just people kind of like, yeah, there weren't these explosions of conflict. Right, right. That's interesting. So these are examples of Japanese media making media for a domestic audience, and then tangentially it gets picked up abroad, mm. and. I guess, and and now because you know because of people like Naomi Osaka, because there's the debate around what Japaneseness is, is no longer confined to Japan, but it's also, it's also like a live debate. I mean, maybe it's not a debate. I mean, who's going to win it? But you know, it's like a live discussion that's happening outside. Yeah. Do you, as someone who has that, you know, that that heritage 
uh, but not necessarily meeting every standard that a Japanese person would expect. You know, you, maybe you can't do Ikebana, maybe you can't write every kanji. <laughs> Does that ever, in your own head, make you feel less Japanese? Um, I don't feel very Japanese, I, but, but on the rare occasion I get to spend some time with my family members in Japan, I relate to them so easily. So I, I think I truly am more Japanese. Um, but I, I just haven't, I wish I had a better answer. All I mean, they don't bother me that much. And I think that's, that's the most Japanese of all. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do find it really interesting the way that Japan does try to claim members of, of the Japanese diaspora whenever they do something great. Like whenever something, when Naomi Osaka is winning or when this guy wins the Nobel oh, Prize. Sure. Yeah, it's like every ethnically Japanese person around the world is like a Schrodinger's Japanese cat that they're only actually affirmed as Japanese once they leave that box with a medal. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 103 of Japan by River Cruise. We are grateful. And thank you to our guest this week, Mary Kobayashi. Mary, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the pod and of your ultimate goal to die in a boat together. <laughs> and we will see you next week. <laughs>